This is The Christian Artist, honoring Christ through creativity. Uh, this is Caleb, and it's actually not going to be me today. It's going to be Connor. Um, this is a bonus episode uh, where we play one of Connor's um, uh, talks he's done at, uh, at Youth Group. And so, um, without further ado, here is Connor's uh, sermon on 1 John, part one of three. Here we go. Today we're going to be talking about how do we love God. Okay, so the theme of the, of the series is how do we love Okay, so, so what does love from a Christian look like? All right, so uh, today we're going to be talking about how do we love God, or more specifically, do we love God? All right, and then next week we're going to be talking about how do we love other Christians? All right, and then the last week we're going to be talking about how do we love unbelievers? Because there is a distinction in Scripture between how we love Christians and how we love unbelievers. So we're going to be going through that in those two topics um, but so for today, we're going to be talking about, do we love God? All right, so before we get going, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, dear God, just thank you for uh, just this opportunity, Lord, to speak. Um, but I pray that nothing that I say here tonight, Lord, be any of my own words, um, but that everything I say would not only be glorifying to you, Lord, but it would just, it would be exactly what um, we need to hear um, and it would all be your words. Uh, I just pray, uh, just for everyone here, God, that if there is, if, if they don't know God, if they don't know you, um, Lord, we just pray that, that, you would, that you would get a hold of them, Lord, that you would, that you would reach them um, either today or next week or just some sometime, somehow, Lord, that you would change their lives, uh, that, that this would be... Um, importance, Lord, that we don't, that we wouldn't just hear any of this tonight, Lord, um, and not let it affect us, Lord, that you would, that you would change us um, from your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so, I'm going to be talking a lot about, uh, pretty much most of this is just going to be verses from 1 John, um, and I'm also going to use some different verses to kind of explain um, what those verses are talking about. All right, so let's just jump right into this if you'll go to the first slide here, maybe. So 1 John 1, 5 through 6. This is the message which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the Bible is very clear in scripture, that you were either walking in darkness, contrary to scripture, contrary to the word of God, or you are walking with God, all right? There's, there's no middle ground with God. There isn't such a thing as a safety net Christian. Everybody have heard of, of a term called safety net Christian? All right, so pretty much it's this idea that somehow you can, you, you believe a little bit, and you, you kind of know what's going on, or maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago and, and for God to change your life, but that never really changed you. And it was just this kind of decision that you made, or it was this commitment that you made that you didn't really keep, and it didn't really do anything to you. All right, so there, there are a lot of people that think that there are Christians out there that say and proclaim the name of God, but their life doesn't really show it, but that's okay, they're still going to be saved. Like, they're not going to get a lot of rewards in heaven, 
But God will still save them because, you know, they made a decision for God. And, and the Bible talks about no such thing. All right? that you, there's no such thing as a safety net Christian. All right? That doesn't happen. You, you were either for God or you were against him. Uh, if you go to the next verse, you're going to Matthew 12, 30 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. All right? there, there is no such thing as a middle ground in the kingdom of God. All right? there's, there's, there's nobody who's kind of there, but not really. All right? You're either with God or you're against him. You're either walking in darkness or you're walking in the truth. All right, these are two extremes. There are two extremes. Safety net Christians. The Bible does talk about safety net Christians. They are called lukewarm Christians. And lukewarm Christians go to hell. So I, I, I like, this is, this is kind of a heavy topic tonight. It really is. And, and I, I like that. But I, I, want, I want to be clear that this is not... I don't want this to be about you, you know, feeling beat up on. And we are going to get to something that is encouraging eventually, all right? But I wanted to make it very clear that there is not a thing as a safety net Christian, all right? It's a lukewarm Christian. And, and talking about this is very important, okay? Because if the Bible is that clear about two extremes, if you're either with God or you're against him, then you have to be sure. Right? Because if your life doesn't look like you're a Christian, then you're not. Okay, so this is the most important thing we could ever talk about, is whether or not you were truly saved. Alright? Um, so in order to understand salvation, in order to understand what a Christian looks like, we have to understand what the Bible says about us. Okay, so we're going to go through a few verses here. Go to the next one. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So what this is talking about here is an admission. He's, it, it, it's, you are admitting that you have sinned before a holy God. All right? You have to be in agreement with Scripture. All right? So, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But if we say that we have not sinned, if somehow you think that, or if somebody who is a, a Christian says, well, I'm perfect, I don't sin anymore, because I'm a Christian, they are a liar and they do not practice the truth. All right? Let's go to the next verse here. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Alright, so we are absolutely wicked to the core. That's what the Bible says about us. Alright, so you go to the next verse here. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's talking about us. The, hum, the human heart is wicked and depraved. All right, go to the next verse here. Uh, Romans 14, 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So what this verse is talking about is if you do something and you are not sure 
that is the right thing to do according to Scripture, if you do not have faith that what you're about to do is right or good, then it's sin no matter what. All right? So according to this verse, if you are not a Christian, you haven't ever done anything good. All right? And I will speak personally from my life. I literally have never done a single good thing for as long as I have lived. Never once have I ever done a single good thing, according to Scripture, outside of the work of Christ in my life. All right? Um, uh, you go to the next verses here. So, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And the context here in Romans 8 is talking about those who are walking in the Spirit, who are with God, and those who are walking in the flesh, who are walking according to the ways of the world. All right, once again, two extremes. All right, you're either walking with God or you're walking against Him. All right? So, and what this is talking about is literally all we do is sin. That's all we ever do. All right? And so, so sin is not just breaking, um, you know, if it's not just lying or, or stealing or, you know, doing something that's specific, that you, you, you broke God's law. There's also in James, it says that do, not doing something that you should do is also sin. But not only that, if you do something and it's not from faith, it is sin. So, like, like this, is, this is what theologians would call Paul's net. Okay, so all throughout scripture, he's trying to throw his net as, as far and catch as many people as he possibly can in the conviction of sin. To get them to understand that they are totally wicked and depraved before a holy God. Alright? Um, go to the next verse here. First uh, Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So what he's saying here is, is even when I do good works, even when I do good things, it's really not me who's doing it. It is God working in and through me. And that's why I said that earlier. I, I have never done anything good. I haven't. All right? Because if, if Christ had not saved me, if Christ had not changed me, if Christ was not working in and through me, I would be absolutely worthless in nothing. All right? I don't, we don't do good outside of God. We just don't. That's what the Bible says. And, and, and the reason for that, oh, actually, no. Let's go to the next verse first. So we all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So even the good things that we think we do is really just a part of our self-righteousness. Because if you do something and it's not glorifying to God, who are you glorifying? Yourself. That's self-righteousness. All right, so anything and everything we do is sin in God's eyes outside of the work of Christ. All right, does that make sense? All right, so... Uh, we have the next line here. When we lessen the seriousness of sin, we are in dispute with the entire Bible. A.W. Tozer. All right, so that's why we're talking about this. All right, because we need to agree with Scripture. All right, and Scripture is very clear that we are wicked and evil. 
That's what the Bible says. So, in order to understand salvation, we have to understand who we are in God's eyes. And that is wicked and depraved. All right? And when we lessen the seriousness of sin, we, we discredit the Bible. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible takes sin very seriously. God takes sin more seriously than any human has ever. We can't... God is a holy and just God. We can't even understand how seriously he takes sin. All right, so uh, let me go to the next line here. So the, this Charles Spurgeon quote, the most terrible warning to impenitent men, which is unrepentant men, sinners. The most terrible warning to impenitent men in all the world is the death of Christ. For if God spared not his only son, on whom was only laid imputed sin, so, so Jesus never sinned, all right? Jesus was perfect. But God placed sin on him and in him. All right, so, so if, for if God spared not, only his, not his only son on whom was only laid imputed sin, will he spare sinners whose sins are their own? All right, so this is why we need to talk about this, because this is a serious topic. Uh, let me go to the next slide here. So, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who lay by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So, first of all, God knows everything. God knows your heart. And that's scary. That should scare you. And, and if, if, you're, if you're sitting here and you're like, I did not want to come to youth group tonight to be afraid, fear is not a bad thing. All right? And, and neither, is, neither is doubt. A lot of people, a lot of Christians think that, that somehow doubt and fear, if you are afraid of God or if, you, if you're not sure that you're saved, that's from Satan. You don't think about that. All right? The Bible says the opposite. All right? You have, there, uh, we'll get to these that verse later, but 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourself. To make sure that you are actually in Christ. Alright? So, and, and fear, fear is not a bad thing. If there was a poisonous snake right here, and I was like two feet from it, and I wasn't afraid, that's really stupid of me. Alright? And, and likewise, if, if we are filthy, rotten, wicked sinners before a holy God... That is scary. And that's not a bad thing that that's scary. That's a good thing. All right? So, another thing I want to talk about is that hell, God's wrath, is not a tantrum. All right, when it says here, wrath and fury, first of all, God is a holy and just God. All right? This is not, this is not a hizzy fit. God is not like... It's, it's not like it's, it's an annoyance and God is like annoyed at, at sinners and he's like, well, I'll just you know, put you over here. It's not, like, it's not like he's minorly annoyed and that's why he sends people to hell. It, it is a burning wrath and fury. God is angry at sin. God hates sin. All right? that, that's, it's not, 
we, we dumb it down a lot because we think, you know, we can't scare people away from God. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to scare people not away from God, but to God. Because he is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins. That's, that's the point of all of this. All right? So, but, but hell is not a tantrum. God is not, you know, like throwing a fit. God is a holy and just God. And if we truly are looking at scripture and, and understanding what it says about us, we understand that if God is a good and just God, he's not going to let us off the hook. All right? God, God has to punish sin because he is a good God. He has to. He has to punish us because we're evil. And, and, and I make it sound like I, I'm, I'm like saying that God's hand is forced. It's not. We don't, we don't force God to send us to hell. God does it because he is good. And God should be applauded for hell. He really should be. God, God should be glorified for the fact that he does punish sin. That's a good thing. It's not, it's, 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 I don't want to say that it's not good for us. It's, it's not in the sense that if we don't repent of our sins that we go to hell. But it's a good thing in the sense that God is punishing sin and giving us what we deserve. That's good. And that's what the Bible says. Um, now, you are the next verse here. So, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So, God is a good judge. He doesn't show partiality. He treats us according to our works. All right? And another thing that I want you guys to get out of those verses is that our problem is not with the people around us. It's not horizontal. Our problem is vertical, more than anything. All right, you might hurt the people around you, and that's bad. But more than anything, it's about your relationship with God. And and uh, like in Psalm fifty-one, when David was repenting before God, he didn't say, "I sinned against these people," and now I'm asking God for forgiveness. He said, "I sinned against God. I sinned against God alone." All right, our problem is not horizontal, because what can man do to us? If God is in control, we should be afraid of God. All right? Our problem is vertical. All right? Uh, if you go to the next slide here, um, sin is wrong not because it is harmful to society, it is wrong because God says it is wrong. Great comfort. All right? So if God has created the world and He is in charge of everything, He gets to decide what goes. And sin is not just breaking God's law, although it is, it's also not honoring and glorifying God with everything that we do. That's a part of the Ten Commandments. Right? To love God supremely and to not put anything in His place. It's the first and second commandment. So if we do anything that is like, like not for God, that's also sin. All right? so, that's, so our problem is mainly vertical. It's not horizontal. Alright? Go to the next slide here. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, 
there will be obvious signs that you were a Christian. All right? If, if you think that you were saved, but your life isn't changed, then you're not saved. All right? If you, if you one day were not saved and the next day you were, there would be a change. Okay? And, and, and the, the last part here, so ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's how you see that somebody is a Christian, right? So I probably used this analogy before by Paul Washer. So um, when Paul Washer, Pastor Paul Washer, when he was a kid, his dad would always wake him up. Um, they lived on a farm, and he would always wake him up and say, no rest for the wicked, let's get to work. And he would follow his dad out, and it was snowing. And his dad was really tall and had really long strides, and so he would always take these big steps, and Paul would try to follow in his dad's footsteps, but he was short, right? He was a kid, and so it was, it was impossible. He couldn't do it, but he, that didn't, it didn't matter to him that he couldn't do it, all right? He still tried, because if you look at that kid, you, you, you would see that he, he's not doing it. He's not actually succeeding at being like his dad, but you would look at that kid and say the greatest desire in his heart is to be like his dad. All right? So that, that is the life of a Christian. It's not about doing everything right because we can't. We can't do everything right. All right? We can't walk as Jesus walked. But if you saw a, a kid trying to be like his dad trying to follow in his dad's footsteps, you would say he loves his dad and he wants to be like him. And that's the life of a Christian. That's, how, that's what this is talking about. That's how you know that somebody is a Christian. If they're walking in the way that Jesus walks, does that mean that they're perfect? No. We already talked about that. Christian is not perfect. But they are trying to be like Christ. That's the goal. All right? So let's say, let's say that I showed up late today. All right, so let's say I showed up like right now. And you guys have all just been chilling, hanging out, and not sure what to do. It's not here yet. Um, and I just walked in like right now. You guys would be like, well, like, what's up? Like, what happened? And let's say I told you that I had gotten, I, I, for some reason I had to walk here, and I was crossing the street and I got hit by a bus. All right, that's what I told you. So you would think of one of three things, all right? You either think that I was a liar, that I was downright crazy, which you kind of know already, or you would, you would look at me and see the evidence of the fact that I had just gotten hit by a bus because I'd probably be dead, and you would say, oh yeah, he's, he was hit by a bus. But if, but if I didn't look like I had been hit by a bus, you'd either think I was lying or I was crazy, all right, or you know, whatever. But is God not more than a bus? If you have an encounter with God, are you not more affected by God than you are by a bus? And yet we look at Christians, people who say that they're Christians, and their life doesn't look anything like Christ. They, they're living contrary to Scripture. And we think, well, they're still saved. No. It's, it's the evidence. That's what we're talking about today. There is evidence that you were saved. And if, if, if God is not bigger than a bus, 
If God is not affecting you more than a bus would, I don't know what God you think you believe in. That I don't, when, when God saves somebody, he changes them. All right? There will be evidence of that. You have an encounter with God. Look at the life of Paul. He literally had an encounter that was like being hit by a bus with God, and he was changed. Walking completely, it's like the worst life you could possibly imagine is what Paul was living. He was murdering Christians and thinking that he was all that. And God changed him completely. All right? There is evidence of this. You can know that somebody is a Christian, and you can know that you are a Christian. All right? That's also something we're going to get to. Uh, I'm going to the next verse here. Or not. I don't need to see your heart, just your gaze. What are you seeking? It's not perfection, it's direction. What are you looking at? All right? Think about that. You, it's, it's not this, this life of a Christian that, that walks perfectly in his dad's footsteps because that's impossible. All right? But what do you want? Is, is God truly supreme in your life? Is he your greatest desire? It's, I don't need to see your heart, just your gaze. That's how you tell if somebody's a Christian. What are they seeing? It's not that they're perfect. It's what they want. It's what they're striving for. All right? Okay, so the next verse is here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You cannot, you cannot be a Christian and live like the world. I'm sorry, you can't do it. If you, if you love the world, you love the world. If you love God, you love God. You can't, you don't mix these two things. They are separate paths. You are either walking in darkness, you are either against God, or you are walking in light and you are for God. All right? And the world is evil and corrupt. And if we, and if we love God, we have to hate what is evil. There was a study done on the human brain, and it's not a proven fact yet but it is strongly implied in the way that our brains work that you cannot love something and not hate the opposite of it. All right? So if I loved children, I have to hate people who harm children. I have to hate it when bad things happen to children. That's just, that's how our brains function. All right? If I love something, I have to hate the opposite. If I love God, I have to hate the evil world. So, I mean, I hate everybody in the world? No. The, the, the Greek word for here is not the people in the world. It's not humanity. Though, when it was translated into English, the word world was used to describe both. So, it's humanity and then the physical world that's been corrupted by sin. All right? So, those are two different things. All right? So, when we say that, you know, you have to hate the world, not love the world doesn't mean that you have to hate every single person on the planet in order to be a Christian. All right, so get that clear. But it's this idea that we think that we can love God 
and yet still love the world and live like it too. And you can't do it. That's not how salvation works. Here. Sense of sin and deep hatred to it. Faith in Christ and love to him. Delight in holiness and longing after more of it. Love to God's people and distaste for the things of this world. These are the signs and evidences which always accompany true conversion. J.C. Ryle. Right? You, you don't get the option to love God and live a Christian life, but at the same time, turn around and live just like the world. If you do that, if you think that you are following God and get to sin and do whatever you want, you're not saved. You don't, you don't get to have a neutral ground. There is no neutral ground in God's kingdom. Neutrality means that you don't really care. All right? if, you were, if you were neutral, it means you really don't care at all. Uh, 2 Corinthians 15 through 17 says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. You act different. You look different. You think differently. Because if God has truly saved you, you were a new creation. The old man is dead. And that's good. We don't want that because we are evil. That's what you want the old man to die because you want to be like Christ. That's, that's what these verses are talking about. All right? You don't want to follow yourself, you want to follow God. That, self, that, that, that is the religion of, of, of humanism, that's self-seeking. That's not Christianity. All right? Uh, go to the next slide here. If you do not have a new relationship with sin, you do not have a new relationship with God. If you don't get anything else out of tonight, remember that. If you do not have a new relationship with sin, you do not have a new relationship with God. John and White. Alright, think about that. If I don't see sin differently after I've been saved, then how can I say that I've truly been changed by God? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Talking about Jesus here. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the first thing I want to talk about in here is the word abide. And I look up the Greek in of that word, and elsewhere it is used in scripture to say dwell, remain, stay, continue. So when we abide in Christ, we, we go there and we stay there, we're continuing. Another word says endure. All right? So we stay there. Another uh, word that is used is literally permanence. 2 Corinthians 3.11. It's used in the way of to say that it is permanent. It is a permanent thing. All right? If you are abiding in Christ, you stay there. 
You don't, you don't lose your salvation. That doesn't happen. Right? We'll get into more of that later, but, but to abide in Christ is to stay there. All right? That's what that means. Um, it's not about perfection, though. It's about direction, like we talked about before. So we could easily read that and say, well, if somebody is a Christian and keeps on sinning, as in they still sin, then, oh, well, then nobody's saved. We just have to find the perfect person, and that's, that's, that's somebody who's saved. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's somebody that lives an active life of sin. Pastor Jeff once described it as, if, if, it's, what you, if, what, if it's what defines you, if you were a sinner with a capital S, all right, or if you were a Christian with a capital C. All right, so if, if somebody from your school came in and, and walked in here and, and they saw that you were here, okay, what, what would they think? What would go through their head? Would they see you and think, oh my goodness, what is this person doing here? Because their life looks nothing like Christ. Would, would they look at you and define you as a liar? What would, what would they define you as? If somebody had one word to describe you, what would they say? Would it be a godly attribute? That's, that's, that's an evidence. It, it, it is. And maybe some, people's are, you know, some people are just jerks. All right? And, you know... Maybe if there's, there's one guy on this planet that just hates you for no reason. It's not like you're, you're not saved. But, but if, if somebody, if the people that you know look at your life and say you are defined by this sin, then, then who are you trying to, how are you thinking that you're fooling somebody? All right? So... Living a life that is in Christ, you will be defined by Christ. Right? Does that make sense? You are living a life of sin. That's what defines you. So when I say you keep on sinning, that it's not that Christians are perfect. Right? And if you go to the next slide here, we already went by that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right? Because we have to be in agreement with Scripture. Because if we, if we say that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. Alright, so if you go to the next verse here. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, as Jesus is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Once again, this is so black and white. This is, this is two extremes. You are either worshiping God or you are worshiping Satan. That's what this is talking about. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Alright? You were either with God or you were against him. Alright, go to the next slide here. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's speed, there's speed. God's seed abides in him. So there's that word again, abide. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident. Who are the children of God? So this is talking about evidence. It is, there is evidence that you have been saved. 
All right, that's what we're talking about. So you can know. Uh, who, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, we'll talk about that last part next week. All right, um, so here's what we want to talk about, though. So, so now that we've gotten here and we know that righteousness is the life of a Christian, right? That's what we've gotten to. But now we're going to talk about, well, how do I become a Christian then? Do I just do a bunch of good things? If I, if I, if I am righteous, is that how I am saved? Right? That's a very easy conclusion that you could come to through this, is that I have to be good enough to get to heaven. All right, so let's go to the next verse here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, this is not about what you do. This is about what Jesus did and is doing in and through your life. All right? It's not about being good enough and then, and then attaining salvation. You didn't sit in your room one day wanting to believe really badly, and you sat there and you focused really hard, and then poof, you had faith, and it just it manifested, and now you're saved. All right? You don't, faith is a gift from God. He grants that to us. We don't, we don't get it because we're good enough to do that. Because if you got faith, if you were good enough to get faith, that means you are better than every single person out there. Because you were good enough and decided to have faith. And now you're better than them. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's why we talk about this, because that no one may boast. That's, that's, that's why God did it like that. Because then you don't get to boast about it. Because then all the glory goes to God. All right? Uh, if you go to the next slide here, Mickey. These verses, these verses make it clear that no one will be saved through their own goodness. Nothing we can ever do could ever merit an everlasting life. It can come only as a gift by the grace of God. Note that we are not saved by our faith. We don't manifest faith and then are saved by it. It is not faith that saves us. Faith is the medium God uses to extend his grace to us. All right, so we are saved by the granting from God of faith. All right? Does this mean that you don't have to repent and believe and have faith? No. This does not mean that you sit there and think, well, I'm not going to be saved until God acts. God already did act. God already did act. He sent Jesus down to the earth, died on the cross, lived a perfect life for you, died on the cross for your sins, God did act, all right? And he told you to repent and believe. That's what the Bible says, to repent and believe and to have faith, all right? So is faith a gift from God so that you can't boast? Absolutely. But that does not mean that somehow you get to sit back and, you know, well, God, you didn't save me, so I never received the, the ticket of faith, so... Clearly, I'm okay. That's not how this works. The Bible commands us to repent and believe. It's the first thing that Jesus ever said in his ministry. Not the first words he ever said. But the first word he said when he started his ministry was repent and believe. That's what he went around telling people. 
Alright, so we'll go to the next verses here. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Alright? You were once this, now you were this. Alright? These verses are talking about. Not because of what you did. It is a complete work of God. Alright? Hebrews 12, I don't have the verse up there, Mickey, but Hebrews 12 says that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. Alright? So not only does God grant us faith, but he never takes it away. Alright? If God gives you faith, that's, that's the work of God, and God has you, and he is going to bring that faith to perfection. He will not only justify you and sanctify you, make, him more, make you more into his image, but he will also grant you everlasting life, and glorify you on the day of judgment. Alright? It is a complete work. God just doesn't get us to justification, and then we have to deal with the rest of our, on our own. God carries us the whole way. Alright? That's, that's really good. That would be really bad if we had to somehow live a life that's good, after we're saved, and, you know, that wouldn't work, all right? If you, if you were saved and then had to live a good life to, re to continue being saved, I would lose salvation on day two. Well, probably day one. Probably seconds after I got salvation, all right? That, that's not how that works. All right, so we go to the next slide here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. All right, so this is, this is what we're talking about, if fruit. All right, there is evidence of your salvation. You were either bearing good fruit or you were bearing bad fruit. It's two extremes. And as it says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. That's a fact. It's, it's, it's a general statement that is absolutely 100% true. You don't, there's not a, a good tree that, that bears you know, some bad fruit, but most of it is good, and so it's good. You were either bearing good fruit or you're bearing bad fruit. That's, that's what this is. You ever heard somebody preach on, on the fruits of the Spirit? You don't get to choose one to, to be really good at, and the rest you, you know, don't do. It is, it is all or nothing. If you've truly been changed by God, you have the fruits of the Spirit because it is evidence that you've been changed. All right? So, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Alright, so once again, if lukewarm Christians go to hell. I wish I had better news. But God is a good and just God. Alright, so if you go to the next slide here, maybe. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, so right there you could think, well, whoever just does enough good things is then saved, right? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and did, can cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. This is the scariest verse in all of Scripture. You could do a lot of good, but like we talked about earlier, ultimately, it is self-righteousness. If you're not doing it to the glory of God and you're not doing it God's way, then it is all for you. And, if, and, and like it says here, it's not about you doing all of the right things. It's about whether or not you know God. All right? You have to know God. There are different words for knowledge in Scripture. One is uh, gnosis, gnosis, and one is gnosko. All right, so gnosis means, or, or gnosis, I'm really not sure how to pronounce that at all. Gnosis means that you have facts, that you know things. Gnosko means that you have experienced it. So we're not talking about you knowing a lot of things about God. We're talking about you have experienced God in your life and he has changed you. All right? Somebody could tell me that the oven is, is hot, all they wanted. But until I touched it for myself, I would not know for sure. I could tell people, yeah, I know that the oven is hot because I was told the oven was hot. But unless I touched it and burned myself, I would not know for sure. Until I felt that heat, I could be wrong. Salvation is not knowing a lot of things. It's knowing it. It's experiencing it. All right? Um, the next verse is here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God gets the glory. That's what he's talking about. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Once again, this is a complete work. You don't get to be saved and then live like the rest of the world. God changes you. God changes you. And at the end there, whom he justified, he also Glorified, that means you go to heaven. Alright? This is a complete work. Uh, go to the next slide here. Justifying grace is always sanctifying grace. You don't, you don't get grace from God that just saves you. God changes you. And that's good. It is amazing. That's a miracle. Alright? Uh, go to the next slide. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, if you, so, so how, do we, how do we love God? How do we know that we love God? You obey his commandments. Go to the next slide here. To seek him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him. So if somebody is truly seeking after God, and they truly seek him, then they love God. To seek him is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. Unless you are obeying God in your life and you see that, and you see that you love God and you want him and you desire him, then do you really love God? No. Because if you loved God, you would obey his commandments. Does that mean if you break a commandment that you're not saved? No. 
And we're not talking about perfection. All right? We're talking about direction. What are you looking at? Where, where, where are you going? All right, so we're going to play, we're going to play a video by the skip guys. Um, and then we're going to close this up. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus sent you? You're alive! I can't believe you're alive! Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore, going, it is I, the Lord, it's your life, I can't believe you're alive! This is awesome! Andrew, get out of the boat, come on! Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Hey. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do now. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah? do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know. We're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he's risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good at words. He should write a book. He is so good at words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do. And you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, what I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. 
That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Think about that. And he said that's grace. Why is that grace? Because you don't want it to be about you. You don't. You want it to be about God. Because you are evil and wicked and depraved. You want it to be about God. That's why it's grace. It's because we don't have to be us anymore. That's why he said that. It's not about you. That's grace. <clears throat> the song Amazing Grace. Like, the entire like, America knows that song. And we sing it all the time. right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When you sing that song, do you see that? A wretch like me? who's never done a single good thing in your entire life? Do you see that? Do we really see ourselves as wretches before a holy God? And, and the reason why we're talking about this tonight, the reason I want you to, to, to feel guilty, the reason I, I don't mind that you might be afraid of a holy God, the reason I, I want to instill that in you is because of 2 Corinthians 17, not 17, 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says, godly sorrow leads to repentance. All right, worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to repentance. All right, so if you were upset about all of the things of the world that the world has to offer, and that's what's making you depressed and upset and angry, that's what leads to death. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. Because if I'm angry at the world, if I'm, if I'm upset about the things of the world, I can't change that. But if I'm upset because I have sinned before a holy God, God has made a way for us to be right with him. So godly sorrow leads to repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is a 180. Repentance is I am walking this way, I am walking in darkness, and I love sin, and I'm comfortable with it, and I invite it in, and I'm okay with it. I like my sin. I love darkness, and I hate God. That, that is every single person who's not a Christian. And repentance is saying, I can't stand myself anymore. And I'm done with it. And I'm turning around and I'm following God instead. That's repentance. That's why it's called godly sorrow. Alright? It's, it's, not, it's not that you invited Jesus into your heart. It's the most unbiblical lie ever. Alright? And when, when I was a kid, my parents would tell me that. And it came to a point when they started really reading their Bibles... And they came to a point where they were like, we can't teach this anymore because this isn't right. And they had to come to us and tell us that. 
And, and we, had a, we had a conversation about that, and it was like, we can't, we can't do this anymore. This isn't the truth of the Bible. And I'll tell you that I, I invited Jesus into my heart so many times, and every single time that there would be a thing in children's ministry where it was, you know, raise your hand and, and, and say this magical prayer and then you'll be saved. As, good in, as, as much good intentions that those people had, as good intentions as my parents had when they, when they believed that, it was wrong. And can God save somebody through that? Absolutely. Why? Because it's not up to us. It's up to God. God is the one that saves people. My parents don't. My parents don't save people. I don't save people. God does. So can God use a broken stick and save somebody? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we have to honor God in the way that we teach Scripture. And if I preach the gospel, and, and it's not the gospel, if I taught somebody that you have to invite Jesus into your heart, what you win them to, or what you win them with is what you bring them to. What you bring them to, all right? So if I, if I tell somebody a lie and I somehow think that I tried to, I told them to go over here and somehow they're going to end up over here, I told them to go here and invite Jesus into your heart and they're supposed to be saved, that doesn't make any sense. Could God use that? Absolutely. God uses everything. All right, it's, it's, it's not about this decision that you made a long time ago. The actual gospel is that you have to repent of your sins, turn from them, and follow Christ. And because he not only died for you, that he lived for you, he lived a perfect life on earth. And that was the reason why, that's why Jesus didn't just come down to earth and stick himself on a cross and die. He lived the perfect life for us because sin had to be paid for and that person had to be perfect. Right? So Jesus had to live a perfect life. And not only did he live a perfect life to, to save us, but he lived a perfect life to give us an example of how we should live. Alright? So, so and, and when, when Jesus died on the cross, he, God poured out all of the wrath that he had been storing up for us and poured it out on Jesus. And he took Jesus' perfect life, his righteousness, and puts it on those who he had saved. That's what's going on. That's, that's called um, propitiation. If you ever heard that word before, that's what that means. Propitiation means that we get Jesus' righteousness and Jesus gets all of our sin. That is such grace that we can't even fathom it. We can't understand how sinful we are and we can't understand how much of a price that Jesus paid on the cross. We can't do it. We, 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 can't, we can't understand it. It was so great. So, what I want to leave you with is that this is not about the people around you right now. It's not about your parents. It's not about me. It's not about any of the pastors here, the, the youth leaders here. It's not about your, your parents. It's not about your grandparents. You can have the, the coolest and the godliest uncle in the world, and he's not going to get you into heaven. Jesus gets you into heaven. Jesus is the only way. All right, and you can't, you can't, you, you might be able to deceive the people around you, and you might be able to deceive the people at school, you might be able to deceive all the pastors, you might be able to deceive, deceive humans, 
But you cannot deceive God. Alright? God knows whom he has saved. God knows his children. So it's, it's about you and your relationship with God. Alright? That's, that's what you have to focus on. You can't rely on somebody else's righteousness to get you into heaven. Alright? And it's not about being like the rest of the people on this planet. It's about being like Christ. Alright? Does that make sense? Does this... Is that, is that helpful? Does that, does that make sense? I know that this has helped me. This hasn't helped you. This has been pointless. Alright? It's good to know. Alright, so uh, we're going to close with um, a few verses here. Um, okay, so yeah, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Alright? So, so how do we love God? How do we love God? We're going to close with, with 2 Peter 1. Alright? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Not our glory, but God's glory. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. God has promised you that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Alright? This is a promise from God. It's not a bet. God is not a bet. Alright? God is not a bet. God promises us that if we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He will save us. It's a promise from God. So that through them, through God's promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. So we're not, we're not us anymore. We don't get our sinful nature anymore. We get God's divine nature. Alright? having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And that is a good thing. We want to escape the world. We do. That's the next verse. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So this is... This is like the process of sanctification. Alright? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, the last two verses here. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will, never, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Alright? So this is about confirming your calling. To know that you are saved. You can know that. Alright, in the last verse, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. So if God has truly began a good work in you, he will complete it. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He doesn't just save us and leave us there. 
He saves us and carries us all the way. All right? So let's pray. God, thank you just for your word and for your truth, Lord, and for how hard it is to swallow, but Lord, how glorious it makes you, how good you are, and that you have revealed to us your, your goodness and your glory, and that we don't have to, to live like the world, now that we can, we can confess our sins to you, and you are faithful and just to forgive us, that we're not stuck here in our sins, that we would just repent, that we would just seek after you, saved. Thank you for, for your son. Thank you for his grace. This amazing grace that saves wretches like us. Pray these things in your name. And there we go. That was Connor's sermon, part one of three. Um, his, uh, yes, a little sermon series on First John. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. I guess, like, by the time you're, you're going to be hearing this, uh, it's going to be, like, tomorrow or whatever like on monday two days or something like that um but yeah so thanks for listening and we will see you next time ciao